0: If you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you're going. And KPIs really paint that picture for you. They help you understand your district and how your district is performing. Uh, Are you heading in the right direction? Are you uh, trending
1: towards any kind of financial risk? You probably know all about key performance indicators. In school business, those numbers you look at to make sure that your district is on the right track financially. But if you're new to the field or need some fresh perspective, Or if you're just the kind of person who enjoys listening to podcasts about KPIs while you're in the car on the way to your next school board meeting, you are in the right place. We're going to be looking at several really important KPIs for school business officials to monitor and why they matter.
2: When I'm working with different districts, we go through a lot of these processes of looking at what is it if we add some staff? What happens if we pay this one-time stipend? How does that affect our end-of-the-year financials? How does that affect how we compare it to other districts? Is that going to get us going in the direction we need to be? So it really allows for that strategic decision making at the end of the day. From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip.
1: This week, I sat down with Travis Zander, a senior analytics advisor here at Frontline who has extensive experience working as a CFO in school districts. And with Derek Sibley. Derek brings 19 years of experience in public education, and 14 of those have been in school business. He's the director of finance and accounting at Pleasant Grove ISD in Texarkana, Texas, a city that straddles the border between Texas and Arkansas. It's home to four different school districts three on the Texas side, and one on the Arkansas side.
0: We are one of the smaller school districts in the community, in the town. We have about a little over 2,300 students uh, on four different campuses. And in, in Pleasant Grove has got a, a, a history or, or a story of just excellence in education, strong academics, strong athletics, extracurriculars. I mean, it's just a, it's a, a great community. It's a small community with lots of community support. It's just a great place to to call. home.
1: Today, we are exploring data and analytics and specifically how data can help those in the school business office plan for the future, set budgets, manage risk, communicate to the board and the community and other stakeholders. So let's just talk about key performance indicators or KPIs. When you think about KPIs that the school business office needs to be looking at, these aren't just numbers that you look at for their own sake. Let's have a conversation about what KPIs help you do and what are the kinds of KPIs every school business official should be looking at. So let me begin with the first part of that. When we talk about KPIs, why do we look at them? Why do we even spend time thinking about those?
0: I'll start and I'll say, you know, KPIs really um, create a mo- roadmap of where you have been, where your district has been, and then, then helps you to make better decisions as you look forward into the future. I like to tell people all the time, if you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you're going, and KPIs really paint that picture for you. They help you understand your district and how your district is performing uh, are you heading in the right direction? Are you trending towards any kind of financial risk? Of course, you know, me, me being in the, the finance office, I look at it on the finance side of things, but KPIs are used on the academic side as well. They look at scores, test scores, and that sort of thing. I tell people, as you look at the KPIs, what you're trying to do is develop a trend or see if you can develop a trend or see if you can see an average. And this allows you to be able to see changes. So if you don't know where you've been and you don't have that, that roadmap before you, you don't know if you're getting off course. You know This allows you to see those changes. If you don't know your data, you don't know your trends, how are you going to know when you start to fall away from those? And so I think it's very important that you, you track those. And the only way you're going to know that is if you keep a, a track of them on a regular basis.
2: I would agree. I think one thing I would add to it is KPIs can be a really great way to benchmark and see how you're performing against your peers. Many states use them as part of their accountability standards or their ratings. And so it's a really helpful way to go in and maybe call up that neighboring district and say, hey, I noticed you're performing a little bit better on a benchmark over here. So you can really use it as a a benchmarking tool. And then also the good opportunity for that phone a friend of, hey, I noticed you're, you're doing this really well how is your district doing it and how can we also get there? So they can be used in a multitude of ways. Well, I have a list here of
1: KPIs that I know that you look at in particular, Derek, and would just kind of like to talk about a number of them. Let's talk for a minute about student enrollment. Enrollment, of course, directly affects a school district's revenue. So when you think about student enrollment figures, what would you say is really key to pay attention to there? In Texas,
0: I know a lot of our funding from the state is, is keyed in on, on student enrollment. And so we're always wanting to look at seeing what that enrollment trend is, but not just the overall enrollment, but we're also looking at our special populations. So we're looking at our special ed. We're looking at our career in tech. We're looking at our economically disadvantaged. We're looking at all those different groups. That are tied to our state funding so that we can see where we're going with our funding template or with our funding formula, because it does have a financial impact. And so that allows you to kind of understand where you're at, but it also, when you understand your enrollment and where you've been, that allows you to also, you know, put together your, your forecast So one of the best practices is always to have a a three to five year forecast ahead of you so that you kind of see where you're going. And in order to be able to do that, at least in the state of Texas, you got to know your student enrollment. You got to know what's happening there. So to me, when I start doing my, my five year forecast, that's the first thing I look at. What is the enrollment? You know, what is the average change in enrollment? What is the trend that I'm seeing? And uh, I know that's a difficult for a lot of school districts, especially af- after COVID, because we saw such a decrease, or a lot of school districts saw such a decrease in their enrollment. Some of it's coming back, I think, but some of it is still kind of lagging behind. So, you know, the last two years have been a little harder to forecast that out. Fortunately, here at Pleasant Grove, uh, we didn't realize a loss in, in student enrollment. So,
2: yeah. Several of the districts I work with have seen losses in enrollment, but there's also been a lot of movement in the last few years. So your CTE programs are maybe shifting or some of those subpopulations that Dara was talking about have moved or shifted around. And it, you got to monitor those as well to figure out where are we going to play staffing? Can we fund these programs going into the future? There's been growth in certain CTE programs and so monitoring those different changes in population allow you to forecast and plan into the future.
1: I know that enrollment probably, it's such a key KPI, it probably impacts other indicators that we're going to be looking at today, too. Is that something you found, Derek? Absolutely. I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about student to
0: teacher ratio. I mean, and that, that ratio is directly impacted by your your student enrollment. So definitely controls a lot of that. It plays a part in that.
1: Well, let's let's talk about student teacher ratios. You know, this is one of those things that has sometimes been talked about in the news or, you know, when, when people are looking at a school district. Okay, how many how many faculty members do we have for every student and how big are class sizes and, you know, that kind of thing? What are you looking for? When you look at student-teacher ratios?
0: You know, again, I've I've created a map backwards to see where we're at as far as our student-to-teacher ratio goes. And, you know, it's just a percentage change in our student enrollment versus a percentage change in our teacher's. And so when we look at this on, a, on an annual basis, you know, we want to look at, you know, what does that change? And so we can look at it several different ways. We could start off by looking at a base year and saying, just throwing out a year there, 2018, what, you know, what's been the change in our student enrollment since 2018? And what's been the percentage change in our staff or our teachers since 2018? Is there a difference there? If there is, you know, what is that difference? But you know, you kind of develop a trend, you know. And I've went my district, and I looked, and I roughly could say that our our teacher our student to teacher ratio was thirteen to thirteen point five. And so, when we start looking at that this year, or we start looking at that next year, what's happening to that number? Um, One thing that I that I also would look at is how do we compare to our neighboring districts and how do we compare to the state, you know, the state of Texas, you know, so I've I've actually been fortunate enough with analytics to be able to go in there and find out what is the average student to teacher ratio across the state and how do we compare? And so, you know, I've developed some averages for different size school districts and said, how do we compare to those districts? So when I look at across the state in the district by size, the average student to teacher ratio is about 12.75. So I'm sitting at 13, 13 and a half. So I'm, I'm really close to where I need to be. So if I start looking at that in, in future years and that number goes up or down, then I want to start looking at what's the reason why we're changing there.
2: So Ryan, when I was back in schools, I was actually at a district and we were, we were struggling with the student staff ratios. And so I was trying to figure out what was going on and what was happening. And Went back and looked at it and our looked at our class schedules at our high school level. And we were running a block schedule. And everybody else was running a traditional schedule. So our board had challenged us. They wanted us all to give a big raise. And they really wanted to make a larger financial impact for our teachers. So in order to do that, we weren't going to get more funding from the state. And the student count was what the student count was. So we actually went through and revised our schedule and implemented a hybrid Schedule. So we went from not a full traditional schedule, but somewhere in between a block and a traditional schedule. And that really allowed us to shift that ratio and then pay those teachers about 4% more a year. So it was a real big win for the staff. They got the higher pay that they were looking for, but then we were able to maintain some of the programming that we were doing that we liked with the block schedule. So that's where it seems like it can be really small, you know, a half percent here, or just a couple percentage point basises, But the impact at the end of the day can be really large. So it's one of those, if you don't monitor it and it starts to slip away from you, it, it can really get out of hand pretty quickly.
0: I was going to say, when I first got into to school business 14 years ago, I remember there was a lot of push for this phrase that I hear, heard all the time, and it was called, when is your district going to hit the wall? And what they were referring to in hitting the wall is looking at your student growth and your, your teacher growth and your numbers and putting it, that on a graph, and where do they intersect at? So if your student enrollment's going down, but your teacher numbers are going up, where those those cross on the graph, that's, I mean, you draw the line and that's where you have hit the wall, you're going in the wrong direction. I don't hear that as much anymore, that term, but it made an impact
1: to me of you really got to monitor that. Derek said there is no single sweet spot that districts should be aiming for with a student to teacher ratio. It varies based on district size there's a big difference between that
0: number and a district that has less than 500 students versus a district that has more than 20,000 students. And I think you really got to look at too, you know, what kind of programs are you offering as a school district? Because I mean, you may be offering some programs where that student to teacher ratio is fairly low in in those programs. I'll, I'll use, for example, one of ours, we've got an amazing art program at our school district i mean they've won state awards national awards i mean it's unbelievable and they're the numbers for the student to teacher ratio in that class are pretty small but that's just because of the size of the program but when i look at it and see the success that program has had you know that student to teacher ratio obviously there's an impact there
2: and I think that to go back to the enrollment size really plays a big difference. You know, if you remember back to your economics class in college, they talk a lot about economies of scale and that couldn't ring more true than it does at school districts. You know, a large urban district is going to be able to be a little bit more efficient with their administrative cost because they've got more students to spread that over versus a smaller district, maybe not as efficient, not as many staff, but maybe less efficient in terms of a student-staff ratio for their administrative cost. But that's where you have to look at what are your peer groups, who's operating in the same area. And then another thing to consider in that is your local economy. What are you competing with for wages from other school districts in and, and those neighboring areas? As Derek started out at the beginning, he's butts up against a border, another state where he's having to compete, plus four other districts rate in his region. So you've, you've got to monitor what are those surrounding districts and what can we afford in terms of small class sizes, and then also competitive pay to balance out the scale on the other side to get those teachers in the door. Yeah, that makes a lot of
1: sense. And, and, and Travis, you mentioned administrative costs, and that that brings me to the next KPI I have on my list here, and that is administrative cost ratio. What does this tell us? What are you looking at? What's the ratio between here?
2: So this ratio is really looking at what is that administrative cost? So principals, assistant principals, your central administration costs, your superintendent, your CFOs, your academic office, and then comparing that against what's your instructional cost? What are your teachers' cost? your counselors, your nurses, librarians, those groups? What's that ratio for your district? And I think that it's really important to monitor that And communicate that with your community because you'll hear a lot from community groups, or at least I did when I was at the school, you know, hey, you guys are paying all these fat cat administrators. I really want more resources going into the classroom. But a lot of people don't even realize that there's a business office operating back there, cutting paychecks and doing payroll and grant compliance and all the different rules and regulations that come along with running a school district. So it's important to communicate out with your community This is what we're doing. This is how we're monitoring our costs and making sure that we're not spending too much on that administrative cost. But we are doing enough to make sure we're compliant, we're able to pay people, and we're keeping track of that.
1: Let's change the subject a little bit and talk about the topic of risk. I know that risk is something that every school business official tries to avoid, right? We want to make sure that we're in a good place and not getting overextended. What kind of KPIs do you look at to help gauge your level of risk and, and let you know when action might be needed.
0: One of the things that we look at is our, our fund balance. What level of fund balance do we have? What kind of risk? I know Travis mentioned a little bit about salaries and and trying to compete with the people of the districts around you and knowing what your fund balance levels are. Obviously you don't want to, you don't want to live on your fund balance. That's uh that's not a something that you want to do, but you have that cushion there to help you to try to make better decisions on what that, what your salaries could possibly be. You know, and I think when you you look at your expenditures versus the level of fund balance that you have, at what level is your expenditures in comparison to your fund balance and basically dividing your expenditure or excuse me, dividing your fund balance by your expenditures and saying, you know, Hey, it's at 25%, you know, our expenditure is 25% of our fund balance. Well, that, that helps me know that on any given year, that if the money flow stopped completely, that I would have at least 25% of my expenditures covered in my fund balance. Now we hope that never comes to fruition, but we know that that's there. And so, a lot of school districts I know develop internal rules or policies, maybe the school board policy that says, Hey, we want our expenditures or even our revenues to be at a certain percentage of our of our fund balance. You know, and so you gotta take action, you gotta take steps to try to make sure that you are staying within those levels.
1: Do you have any any real world examples, Derek, of times when you would have said, All right, I'm monitoring the fund balance and Based on what I see, there, there needs to be action taken here.
0: I personally have not had that experience. I have seen other school districts where they have had to take action with the way they had their fund balance coded. So, you know, in the state of Texas, we can label our fund balance of certain ways to try and think of the word there, Travis.
2: Like restricted, uh, or, restricted. or unrestricted? Yes,
0: restricted, uh, where your fund balance is restricted. Well, I've seen them where they've had to take some of the restrictions off of some of the fund balance, because if they didn't, they would not meet their local policy of having enough unrestricted fund balance available to the district.
2: Yeah, And one of the things that, you know, from state to state, it's going to be slightly different. When I was uh, working as a CFO in Arizona, We were only allowed to have a 4% of fund balance, which would be a heart attack for anybody living in in Texas. But there we had a central county district that would help us float cash in between the different districts. So we were able to maintain that lower fund balance because of the the financial setup there. When I was the budget director in an Austin ISD, we had a unique situation where we paid what's called recapture, where we sent a large portion of our budget actually just back to the state. So our fund balance policy, we actually subtracted out that payment to calculate how much of operating funds we needed on hand to meet that fund balance policy. So while there's some general rules that you want to have 25% of your operating expenses on hand or uh, operating revenues on hand, depending on how you're measuring it within your district, it's also important to look at your local governance and uh, understand what your local policies are. So that way you're you're adopting what's going to be the best financial health for your district. But like Derek said, if you're not monitoring that ratio, uh, you can get yourself in trouble pretty quickly if you're not checking on that and monitoring it. It, it really can become, it leads into another operating area where you sort of look at days cash on hand. It can be really similar to that as a measure in terms of the that fund balance ratio Do you have enough operating cash to handle that? And depending on your cash flow cycle within your district, you can have situations where you need that extra operating amounts on hand because your fund balance is really just a measure at one point during the year. When what you're really looking at is, do we have enough money to make our payroll throughout the year? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, and speaking of of how much money do we have in our fund balance, another KPI I know that we talk about is days of cash on hand. Talk to me, you know, Derek, as you look at that. What are you looking for? Uh what questions are you asking and what action are you trying to inform in that case? Like
0: Travis mentioned, you know, the a lot of the cash on hand is used for operational purposes. And I think we could get fund balance and days cash on hand work together the same. You know, we sometimes if you get a district that's got a a larger fund balance sometimes you get people who start saying why do you have so much money on hand well well that's because we may need that money to operate on from the time that that we have money or we bring in our money we don't because unfortunately you know we say that our budget is what it is but we don't get that money up front so we get it at different stages throughout the year i know in my district from about december to april we're not bringing in a whole lot of money. Uh, and so you've got to have those days cash on hand uh, or that, that fund balance in order to work off of. And so this is just the number of days that your district could operate or would have operating expenditures. If you, if you, like I mentioned before, if you had no, no revenue coming back in. And so it's, it's an extremely important thing to look out. We monitor it. I know I look at it every day in you know, a cash on hand and, how much do we have for operational purposes? How much do we have that are investments and do we need to move things around? And so it's monitored on a daily basis. And I will say that, you know, there are times throughout the year you start you start looking at that and wonder, man, gosh, we're getting awful low. So I, I will say, Travis, I would be nervous with a four percent fund balance that <laughs>
2: there was definitely some borrowing that would occur during those yeah, times yeah. but i agree there's certain times of the year when when you're looking at your cash and you're looking at your cash flow and and making sure that you have that operating balance that you're wiping the sweat off your brow and going okay do we need to move money or do we have enough liquidity to meet our needs so
0: and i know that's one thing you know i show my board every month what's our cash balance and every year i have to have the conversation when we get to january february march i have to have that conversation when they're looking at that graph and it is it's going down and they don't see it coming back up and there there's always a question what's going on here and and so i just kind of head it off and say well we're spending money uh everyone got payroll we're paying our bills but unfortunately the dollars coming in are not not keeping up with that so y'all i have to have that conversation every year at least two or three months out of the year until it starts turning the other way.
1: There's uh, two more KPIs before we get into a, a few other questions. The next one on my list here is surplus deficit to revenue expense ratio. That's about the longest name of a KPI that, that we've tackled today. What is that? How do you calculate it? What are you looking for?
0: <laughs> uh, this, is, this is looking at the end of the year. Did your district have a surplus in funds? Do, was your revenue more than your expenditures? Or did you have a deficit? Did you spend more money than you brought in? And and how does that compare to your revenue or your expenditures, however you want to look at it? And it really, it goes back to looking at when we talked about the fund balance and we said how much of the fund balance is to to our expenditures or revenue. It's kind of the same thing. We're looking at that percentage or we're looking at that surplus and we're saying how much of our revenue is that surplus? And so the calculation there is, We're just going to take our surplus or our deficit, and we're going to divide it by either our revenue or our expenditures, however we want to look at it. And I will say this is this is the one that in the districts that I've been in, when the auditors come and they present the audit to the school board, the number one question that everybody wants to know is how much did we put in the fund balance? You know, what was my surplus? What was my deficit? And I know i've I've worked with superintendents who that was all they w- they wanted to know you know what's that surplus what's that deficit and this ratio is just looking at it as a percentage of our revenue or a percentage of our expenditures
2: this one can help it you as your district that's either growing in enrollment or declining enrollment measure that trend so as your revenue or expense situation changes instead of it being a hard dollar amount hey we want to Add a million dollars in every year. Well, if you're a really large district, a million might not be enough to add into your fund balance. So it's it's looking at a ratio as a target for a district, especially if you're having changes in what those revenues are coming into your district.
1: Travis said this can really help you set and monitor long-term goals. Are you being consistent with this? Could it be a sign that you need to revise some of your budgeting practices so it can be a good leading indicator of fluctuation from year to year? Are you being consistent with your long-range financial planning? And this brings us to our final KPI that we'll look at today, debt burden ratio. So the, the debt burden ratio is very similar to some of the other ratios that we looked
0: at. This is looking at the debt service, obviously, but it's looking at how much is spent in debt service for every dollar that we receive. So when I speak, I, I like to talk about things in comparison to the dollar, because most people can understand the dollar. And so if I can easily say, well, we spend 75 cents out of every dollar we get, people understand that. And what this debt burden ratio does is it gives you that to talk about. And so it is just basically taking your debt service expenditures and dividing it by your rate or your revenue. And you get get a percentage out of that to where you can easily say, We spend or we spend $0.98 out of every dollar that we bring in.
1: You know, these are a lot of KPIs we've been talking about, and I can see how they're incredibly not just useful, but invaluable, critical to the work you're doing. But my guess is this kind of in-depth analysis, while it's useful for you as you make decisions, could be difficult to distill and convey to a school board or to a community as you're trying to explain your budget projections, the actions you're taking, trying to get budget approval. How do you have those conversations? How do you present this information in a way that is helpful?
0: One of the things that that I always try to keep in mind is that I I live in this world. I understand this stuff. I would say majority of the boards, or at least in my experience, they don't necessarily get it. So you got to break it down to, to be simple. And one of the things that I always try to do in any kind of presentation that I give is, is to make it to where anybody off the street, I could go take community member off the street and bring them in, have this conversation. And I want, I want it to be so simplified that I can explain it to, you know, somebody with no experience in this. And so One of the things that, that I always, first of all, I mean, I think it's important to be transparent. And one of the things I don't want to do is keep information from my board or from my district. And so I try, I I probably give them way more information than they want or care to see my board packet for a small district. I think is pretty big, but I believe in giving them more information than, than they actually need. I, I also believe in trying to give them the information up front to try to, I don't want to use the word prevent questions because I do want them to ask questions, but to answer the questions that they might have. I also want to show it in multiple ways. One of the things that my board picks at me, if you will, because of the charts and graphs that I use and the number of charts and graphs, but I think it's important to show that. I like to show that data. and So a lot of times when I show information, my budget presentations I will have a chart and a graph there but then I will also include a narrative uh, a paragraph to explain what it is that I'm showing them because we talk all the time about in the classroom how there's different learning styles and students learn different ways some are visual some read it and it's the same for our school board it's same for our community some people can understand it in different ways and so I want to be able to present it in multiple different ways so that
1: they understand what what they're looking at. Because Derek uses frontline analytics to both analyze his data and create communications for the board, he frequently uses the monthly financial reports that the system creates for him. And it it is so
0: good because I print that stuff right out of the system and can take it and put it in my board packet. And I tell people all the time, it makes me look really smart. It's pretty pretty hefty. Uh, it's a lot of information and it looks like I put a lot of time and into it. Uh, it makes me look really good, but the, the reality of it is that the data is there. You just got to be able to get it out. And, uh, of course you got to look at the data. Data is, it's only data if you don't do anything with it. So you got to be able to take it, analyze it. There's the narrative that can come out of the system, the information from the budget analysis information that is automatically calculated and put together for you is awesome information i use that every single month i take that information and put together my narrative that i want to give the board and then on top of that i I summarize all of it i have a summary sheet that i show the board and then back behind the summary sheet is all the detailed information that you know if they want to take a look at it they can so
1: I asked Derek to talk through his process of looking at these KPIs on a regular basis. What is his process for tracking them and making decisions based on them? I look at the data on a monthly basis. And
0: one of the best tools that I believe is out there is the financial forecast that I get out of frontline analytics. That is probably the basis of the conversation that I have with my superintendent. Every month, when if you know, if we sit down and we talk about the financial reports, we look at the forecast that is put together in those financial reports. And so that gives us some idea when we start trying to make decisions on anything what does it look like? What does that forecast look like? To me, it's just a big crystal ball is what it turns out to be, you know, and I know, you know I've got superintendents that would ask, how much do you think we're going to put in fund balance? Well, that's a $10 million question. What the system does is takes your historical information, allows you to take a look at it, gives you a forecast based on what's actually happened in the past. And so what does that data allow us to do? It helps us to make better decisions. It helps us to map out where we're going to go. You know, If you want to add staff, we had this past year, we've really tried to set our district up in a way where our teachers, all of our teachers in the district have basically, I'll I'll say two off periods, and I'll come back and explain that, but they have two off periods every day. And and when I say off periods, they have one conference period, a a 45-minute conference period, and then they have another period where it's a planning period it's a period where they get together with their team whether it's a grade level team or a department level team and they plan out the next day or the next week however that's going to go the next units they're constantly working on that and so we've worked over the last two to three years to set our district up to where we can allow to do that well you're going to do that it's going to cost you some dollars it's going to cost you some people because you you've got to add those new positions and so when i start looking at frontline analytics it gives me the data where i can go in there and i can add those new positions in there what does how does that impact our bottom line it, are we able to do that so last spring i sit down with the superintendent and he's like well what do you think how many positions do you think we can add and I have a number in mind based off of the data that I'm able to look at. There, there's no way that that I could make those decisions without having the proper, the proper data on hand to do that. And so that, that's been a big thing in our district. We've, we've added lots of instructional staff over the last several years. And what gave us comfort in adding those staff is being able to look, look at the data, and seeing what it's actually going to look like. It's our crystal ball where we can go and look at it. And I'll say numbers don't lie, or correct numbers don't lie. Let me put it that way. And what gives me peace and comfort, and sometimes I refer to, when I'm speaking to my board, I refer to frontline analytics as my historical model. What gives me comfort is knowing that the data, the decisions that we're making are all based on realistic numbers. And I'm sure somebody could argue with that, uh, but it's hard to argue with numbers that you know are factual. And so a lot of times, you know, you get that aha because you are showing them the numbers and they see the real impact from that. And, And I'll go back to showing the numbers with adding staff. Well, okay, we want to add four staff members. Here's what it's looking like. It's just the numbers, the numbers, the data adds up. The data tells the story. It helps me break it down and understand it. Helps me to explain that to my board.
2: Yeah, when I'm working with different districts, we go through a lot of these processes of looking at what is it if we add some staff? What happens if we pay this one-time stipend? How does that affect our end-of-the-year financials? How does that affect how we compare to other districts? Is that going to get us going in the direction we need to be? So it really allows for that strategic decision-making at the end of the day. I mean, the tools are all nice and fancy and the charts and graphs are, are, are great, but really the idea of all this is to help you support making those better decisions. So Derek was discussing earlier having a visual representation, having a narrative representation, and then having like a tabular or a data table presentation. It's important to meet all those different people where they're at and different people are gonna learn in different ways. So talking to the HR folks about how many people you can add and at what cost, talking to the superintendent, talking to the board, but also talking to your community and helping everybody come along to make the best decision for those students in that district is really what it comes down to at the end of the day. So any of the tools that we can provide that do that. That's really the key. Travis brought up comparing
0: ourselves to other districts, and I think I think there's a, a competitive nature there with local districts. I know we're we're all in this for the kids, but I think when you can show the data in comparison to other districts, and you can say here's we where we are in comparison to. One of the things I like to do, I have I have two different peer groups that I look at. I've got our local districts here in Texarkana and just right around us. And I can compare Pleasant Grove to those districts, but then I also have a peer group of what I call our statewide peers, where I can say these districts look like Pleasant Grove. They have similar enrollment to Pleasant Grove. They have similar demographics to Pleasant Grove. And like I mentioned, you know, there's four school districts here in Texarkana or the small, or one of the smallest ones. Our demographics look different than other school districts. And so when we start trying to compare ourselves with local districts, sometimes the numbers don't necessarily add up. But when we can look at it in comparison to those statewide districts, the people that look like us, the same size with us, demographics, it also helps you to make those connections and those decisions.
1: I'm going to end up with this question uh, for you, Derek, and that is, what is the single most important Either piece of advice you would give to a new school business official trying to wrap their heads and hands around their financial data, or what do you wish you had known or what tools you wish you would have had when you first got started in this world?
0: That's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I think my, my advice for district or for new school business officials would be to dive into the data to find out where your district has been. Again, looking at that roadmap behind you as to where you've been. It's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And so I would suggest looking at that data, getting a good idea of where you've been in the past. I wish I had in my hands when I first started uh, frontline analytics, because the data that is there is at your fingertips. Now, the data that's in the system, is all public knowledge. It's all accessible somewhere else. And prior to having frontline analytics, I spent lots of time putting data together, looking through state reports and looking through local reports and looking through everything else that I could possibly get my hands on to to put together a data to find a trend or, or find out where we've been. And when frontline analytics came along and I have that data in my hand, I could tell that story. I can get that information in an instant. And so I would recommend looking at the data, finding out where your district's been. And then Frontline Analytics is, a, is an amazing tool that's available to school districts. And it will help you, tremendously help you get off the ground in understanding where you're at.
1: That's a great way to end up. I want to thank uh, you, Derek Sibley, from Pleasant Grove Independent School District, and Travis Zander, who, of course, is a colleague of Frontline Education. Thank you both for taking time today to speak with us. I think this has been fantastic. Thank you, Ron.
0: Thank you, Rod.
1: Field Trip is a podcast from Frontline Education, the leading provider of school administration software. That includes frontline business analytics with tools to build out detailed comparisons of district trends and peer district performance, develop long-range financial plans, and track and plan in-year budget performance. For more information, visit frontlineeducation.com slash podcast For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.